If you would, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 again. Uh, as we talk today in the message a little bit, I'll, I'll touch on the importance of, of the, the ministry and music. The word that is in music, and, and Pastor Weiler puts a lot of effort into this, finding songs that have doctrinally rich themes that we're learning as we're singing. And uh, though I don't go into great detail today, I'll touch on that. It just today has been a very special day with music, and uh, well done. Uh, I would hope that, that most of us here would agree that, you know, it'd be a little absurd to expect a baby to grow, to become strong, uh, grow into adulthood without being properly and continually nourished, right? It's amazing, really, how modern science has, has discovered now how all of the, the vitamins and, and the nutrients, how they nourish our bodies in order to grow strong. They help divide cells. They, they help tissues to form and to develop. And, and the body is just an amazing uh, creation that God has made in the way that it functions. And, you know, many parents today, probably some of you here, are, are very obsessive, you might say, about the nourishment of your children, and rightfully so. Obviously, uh, people want their children to grow, to be strong, to become high achievers, both mentally and physically. Perhaps uh, we want them themselves to, be, to become scientists or professional athletes or, or other things, and for this to become possible, the bodies have to be nourished. They need to grow. And you know, it isn't a lot different for adults. If our bodies are are going to continue to, to function properly, if they're, if they're not provided proper nourishment, can, combined with things like regular exercise, disciplined exercise, you know, we're going we're to have greater incidences of depression, uh, organ failure, disease, cancer. It's very important to nourish an adult body properly. And, and our obsession with that, with, with nourishment, has driven what some now say is a $37 billion a year supplements industry. People are really concerned about this. And, and although a large, large portion of these projects, uh, products excuse me, are broadly unregulated, they're unproven, they're speculative, many of us will just empty the bank account. If we have any chance to, to uh, find something that even promises a minute chance of extending the life by a couple of years, by uh, retaining youth, youthful vigor, We'll, we'll buy it, or even sagging skin. Got a little of that, we've got something for it. We'll buy anything to preserve the youth. And especially successful are the products out there that, that promise to reverse the aging process, make us younger, without any personal effort involved. You mean I don't have to do anything? I can just sit on the couch and look like him or her? I'll buy that. I'll buy it. I'm in. What, what, you need a credit card? I'm there. We want something for nothing. How does that usually work out? Not so good, does it? Not so good. And you know, we're not only seeking to preserve our own health, our own youth. You and I are especially concerned for our parents as they age. Very concerned about them. An appropriate level of iron and calcium and vitamins will help the elderly to preserve their health and their strength. And the fact remains that regardless of what your age is, young, middle-aged, or are moving into later years of life, no matter what age, 
a balanced diet, the nourishment, the nutrition, disciplined exercise, a periodic checkup are the key to, key to health. We all have to do it. For most of us, these three will suffice. Uh, you discipline yourselves to eat properly, budget time for a brisk walk and, and, and regular exercise, and then maybe endure that discomfort or inconvenience of a doctor's visit. Uh, with those, you'll, you'll pretty much remain healthy. And I don't do any of them. I don't do any of them. No, I, I don't. Right now I'm in a season where I haven't been getting to the gym. I, I haven't been eating real well. Rita could tell you that. I'm putting on a few pounds. And, and I realize that I can't expect to maintain my strength, my perseverance, and achieve goals if I don't discipline myself to alter my habits, right? I'm going to have to do that. And I realize that mentally it's harder to do the discipline and follow through on the correct nourishment and the exercise. Um, why would Christians believe any differently about spiritual growth? That we don't need proper nourishment, that we don't need to spend time in it, that we don't need to exercise our spirituality and practice the Word and memorize Scripture and do these things. We think that we can just have something for nothing. That we can have spirituality and spiritual maturity and continue to grow in it without any disciplines, without any proper nourishment. Well, this is what essentially what Paul is communicating and, and confronting in today's passage. Our spiritual strength, our growth, it's tied directly to nourishment. Uh, it's nourishment we receive through disciplined exercise. And if you want to follow along, I'll read from 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Paul writes to Timothy, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only for a little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving, deserving full acceptance. For it is for this that we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Well, having just warned Timothy now uh, and the church about things like deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, lying hypocrites, and such, he did that in verses 1 through 4, Paul now reminds Timothy to point out these things to the brethren, pointing back to those things we discussed last week. Call error what it is. Don't ignore it, just expose it. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't leave people confused about what is true, what is false. Call a spade a spade, is what Paul is telling Timothy. And you know, way too many churches across America now are not willing to address error or expose falsehood, especially in doctrinal sense. But the Bible never takes that approach. It never does. Instead, the Bible always tells us to point out error so that God's people will be warned. The sheep will be warned. Israel will be warned by the prophet. They point out error. And, and remember, Timothy now is acting as an overseer in Ephesus, so he has this responsibility to protect the flock from false doctrines. And in doing so, Paul says in verse 6, 
In doing so, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. A good servant. So consequently, to not do so would designate you as a poor servant, right? Be a poor servant. And I have a wonderful quote here from from Chuck Swindoll in his commentary on the pastoral epistles. Chuck Swindoll writes, A good servant of Christ Jesus consistently and faithfully identifies false teaching and confronts false teachers with the truth. Spiritual leaders call a spade a spade. They speak the truth. They correct false teaching with Scripture and reinforce sound doctrine. No need for politics or power plays, Chuck says. Faithful shepherds simply shine the light of truth on darkness and then remove predators from the flock. Unquote. So, so Chuck's statement here uh, on this verse, verse 6, advances us to the next obvious point in verse 6. Paul indicates that a good servant of God must constantly be nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. A good servant has to be constantly nourished, continuously nourished. And and in order to be effective, a shepherd like Timothy in Ephesus, he must be constantly nourished on the words of faith, that is Scripture, and, and, and constantly absorbing sound doctrine, we're told. We should note that Timothy now has been accompanying the Apostle Paul on, on routes of ministry and on mission work for approaching 20 years. Timothy has been around Paul and working with Paul in varying capacities for approaching 20 years. Yet he still had to be nourished up. He had to be strengthened. He had to be sustained by Scripture and sound doctrine on a continuous basis. He didn't grow out of it. And and friends, pastors never plateau in what they're learning. They they never reach that plateau of of having gained enough knowledge or having gained enough understanding. It's always working to grow, always strengthening. And and be very honest, if Pastor Weiler or I were, were to stop feeding today on the Word of God and stop digesting doctrine, our ability to exhort and teach and encourage would shrivel about as quickly as our bodies would shrivel if we quit eating today. And that's not a huge exaggeration. It's not a huge exaggeration. Uh, Our bodies would shrivel. Our spirits would shrivel. Um, Pastors only have the capability to pour out what they ingest in. All you can do is pour out to people what you have taken in, and, and we never stop growing ever. One of my professors at Dallas Seminary, his name was Jim Allman. And uh, he very wisely warned us in class. I, I received this warning twice. Not because I failed the class. It's because I took two different classes from Professor Allman, so he gave the same exhortation in both classes. But, but he said this, and he warned us a war, gave us a warning that he was previously warned by his professors Uh, He told us, he said, when you walk across that stage at graduation time and they hand that master's degree to you, don't you dare believe it. Don't you dare believe it. That you've ever mastered the Bible. An effective minister of the gospel can never stop learning, cannot stop being nourished, because a teaching ministry is a direct reflection of Uh, What you pour out is a direct reflection of what is ingested and digested. 
It's continuous. So pastoring requires this nourishment all the time. It's why we learned recently the apostles who were responsible for teaching the church after Pentecost said, as they, as they formulated uh, deacons to serve uh, the food, it says, it's not desirable for us as apostles to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. They said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. They devoted themselves because they knew that through prayer and the ingesting of the Word, the ministry of the Word, uh, through that people would grow and come to faith. You can't pour out what you haven't taken in. It is also for this reason that although I greatly respect, and I want to emphasize that, I greatly respect bivocational pastors. Uh, Many of them, they labor diligently to both provide for themselves and for a smaller congregation. They they can't quite afford to pay them. Uh, They do a good work. But I don't favor bivocational ministry. I don't favor it for a shepherd, someone who is is there to to nurture, to teach, to defend the flock. You know, some use the Apostle Paul as, as the ultimate model for a bivocational pastor. But, but we also must remember that Paul was an apostle and categorically a missionary. And, and, and along with that, uh, unlike some might suggest, he didn't work bivocationally throughout his entire ministry. He didn't do it the whole time. Uh, and when he did do tent making, that we call it, uh, in order to support himself, the reasoning that he often gave was, was because his critics were claiming that he was doing this for money. In Corinthian stuff, they're saying, this guy's doing this for money. He said, no, I haven't done anything for money. And I won't sell the gospel. So he refrained from demanding what he called his right as an apostle to receive uh, support as the other apostles were. He refrained from that in certain cir- circumstances. In other circumstances, he gladly accepted it with the Philippians and others, remember? So it depended upon his ministry. And at the same time, he's explaining why he didn't uh, receive or accept help from the Corinthians, he says this in 1 Corinthians 9.14, the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Get their living from the gospel. And it's not our point today. We will discuss this later on in chapter 5. We'll discuss why pastors who it says work hard at preaching and teaching receive pay. Some people, believe it or not, have a problem with this. And we're not going to discuss it today. It's it's in a later passage. Uh, But Scripture calls that receiving double honor. You're an elder who also teaches and preaches full-time, and they're paid because of the significant amount of time that is required in being devoted to prayer and the ministry of the Word. It just takes a lot of time to ingest the material to read, to study, to pray, to minister, to disciple, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and still pour yourself back out. It, It takes a lot of time. But with all this talk about ministers... All those who are in full-time ministry, as Timothy likely was here, you need nourishment as well. You have to have nourishment. And though this is obvious for pastors, you can't go throughout your week without proper nourishment. And you need to be spiritually fed, you need to be scripturally fed on on a continuous basis. But unlike Pastor Weiler and myself, you're not able to be here all the time. Well, not all the time, but most of the time. 
You're not able. You're working. You have families to raise. Some of you are working a couple jobs. You're also doing ministry during the week. You're helping other, out other folks. You're cleaning the facilities here. You're doing all kinds of things. Um, so your time is limited. So you can't be here on a continuous basis. Uh, we understand that. We want you to know we understand that. And, and we realize it takes a lot of discipline in time and energy uh, for you to engage even in one or two occasions during the week, other than church uh, in the morning. One or two occasions a week can really, can really be a burden on families, but you do so, and we thank you for that. And Gerald and, and I are very sensitive to not come across as being overly demanding or, or hard taskmasters. We don't want to do that. We also know that you need a day of rest. You guys need a day of rest. We all have to have a day of rest. And though we've talked before about uh, the Sunday not being the Sabbath, that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest, and in Him, the Lord of the Sabbath, we have kept all the requirements of the law, so we don't, the, the Sabbath never got transferred from Saturday to Sunday. That Sunday is the Lord's day, it's called in Scripture. And, and though um, we don't have a law-keeping Sabbath, where we are forced to take it, the, the principle of taking a day of rest pre, is pre-existing to Israel. It was installed before Moses. It was installed before Mount Sinai, before the law was given to Israel. That day of rest was given before the fall. We need to rest. We need to have that day of rest and, and we, we, we love the folks that, that uh, commit themselves here, but we realize you need rest. Consider a very realistic scenario, and this is not uncommon here at all. If a person is either holding street signs or comes to group discipleship on Wednesday evening, one of those two on Wednesday evening, plus they vacuum the carpet on either Friday afternoon or Saturday morning, they serve us here, uh, and that same person then either joins us on Saturday afternoon at another point to go witnessing in the park and, to, uh, and or go to a nursing home like we did uh, a week ago. We, we have some of these people that do these on a regular basis uh, multiple times a week other than Sunday morning. You've got to ask, do they have enough time for family? Now that's up to them. But I want to encourage you folks, you need to rest. You need to rest. And you are diligently serving your church. You're taking forth the gospel and people need to hear the gospel. And you're doing that. You're handing out tracts and connection cards and talking to people. And, and you're diligently serving your church here. How many masters of theology degrees did the woman at the well have to have before she could go out and witness? None. 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 You can, you, can, you can go do a whole lot of ministry on what you know. Folks, uh, I'm ver being very honest here. I would say that Port St. Lucie Bible Church, as far as doctrinally and scripturally and our knowledge and our comprehension of the Bible, we're second to none in Port St. Lucie. I'm not saying there aren't others that are as good, but we're second to none. You folks know your Bibles, you understand your doctrine, you understand Scripture, you study, you're excellent. And, uh, and, and we're going to continue to know our Bibles well, we're going to continue to teach. 
but we also have to go out and win the lost. There's not a substitute. Learning and knowledge and acquiring knowledge is not a substitute for going out and proclaiming the gospel. We have to have both. We have to have these people that will, that will go out and hold street signs or go to parks or go to nursing homes and clean the carpet and mow the lawn and all these other services. We have to have people that do that as well as learning. But we can't just do learning. That knowledge puffs up. We have to combine this. So what we have is a time limitation. Right? That's what I'm getting at here, is we struggle with having enough time, enough energy, and enough rest in order to function. And that through this whole time, we're supposed to constantly nourish ourselves, continuously nourish ourselves. Um, it's, a, it's a mighty task. It's a mighty task. And, and yet we're going to continue taking the gospel forth, going to tradi- tradition and parks and nursing homes and street corners, and we're going to serve in Awana and VBS and all of these things, while we do this, how do we stay nourished? How do we stay nourished? Well, number one, the first thing that you and I can't miss in being nourished is Sunday morning. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not forsake the assembly of the saints, assembling of yourselves together, as have has become the habit of some, but encourage one another. We don't sacrifice Sunday morning. And, and please don't understand me here. I realize that some of you have situations that are difficult. I know Eric and uh, Yerkes here, he is an officer. He has certain Sunday mornings he needs to work. He can't get out of it and still provide for his family. I'm not talking about uh, badgering people who have circumstances in their lives. But we need to discipline ourselves to come on Sunday mornings, to wake up, to be here together. Um, Eric, he picks up sermons online afterwards. He posts them online. He, he picks them up, discusses them with his family. And uh, he does what he can in his situation. But when it comes to planning our week, when it comes to deciding what we're going to be doing in the week ahead, along with our work, taking care of our families, mowing our lawns, taking care of your homes, um, uh, family time, we have to be nourished. And Sunday morning remains at the top of the list of being nourished. It's the core source of nourishment and growth, and and everything flows out from Sunday morning. And there's many, many reasons for that. The early church, for them, it was very similar. You know, Scripture indicates that after the day of Pentecost, when things had settled down, when, you know, they had so many miracles, and there there was this, this big energy in the early church in Jerusalem, and they were meeting together from house to house, and, and it was, they were waiting for the next miracle to happen. It was amazing what was going on. But once that, that kind of diffused, and especially as people were dispersed out of Jerusalem due to persecution, um, the general practice of the early church was to meet on Sunday, the Lord's Day. That's when they met. First day of the week. Um, they did so because it was essential to remain unified doctrinally. Everyone is hearing the same thing out in the open. Nothing is hidden. The Word of God is taught openly so everyone can say, is that, is that a line the Spirit can, can teach us? Am I hearing what the Bible reflects? And we come together in unity for doctrine. And, and we remain united spiritually through song and through prayer. Spiritually we come together and we engage in the Holy Spirit in worshiping Jesus Christ. So we're united in song and in prayer and as well, we remain united socially. 
believe it or not. Socially. And, and, and through events and announcements of events. You thought that that announcement time at the beginning is just a waste of time, right? So did I. No. No, that it's very important for us to know what is going on, where it's going on. It is a ministry, Pastor Weiler brings you in, in those events. Sometimes they don't apply to all of us, so we kind of lose focus and we look, you know, at something else around. I understand that. But this is all ministry. It's all about remaining united. And, and the early church came together on the first day of the week to be united. And they commemorated the Lord's Supper. And they joined one another, and they bound themselves together, and they were nourished with doctrine. But beyond that, you know, for that early church, most of those folks didn't have Bibles at homes. They didn't have scriptures. Copies of scriptures, they were scarce. And paper was expensive. And a large portion of the early church, they were poor, and they were slaves. They didn't have access to these things. So assembling this, this once per week and, and not having a Bible at home, many were illiterate anyhow. And, and, and how did these early Christians receive the nourishment they needed during the week? How did they do that? Many, we know, memorize Scripture. We're working on that on, on Wednesday evenings. But most also practiced what we, practiced what we learn in Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. During the week, they kept themselves nourished. They kept their mind focused on Christ by reciting the psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And they also memorized uh, what we can identify as shorter creeds were very common in the early church. And we see in their writings. Even here in the pastoral epistles with, uh, with uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, on five occasions, uh, Paul tells Timothy, it is a trustworthy saying. It's a trustworthy saying. They had trustworthy sayings. They don't, didn't only have psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A trustworthy saying, John MacArthur says, this represents a statement summarizing key doctrines. Apparently, these sayings were well known in the local churches from the evidence we see as concise expressions of cardinal gospel truth. These were concise, short expressions of gospel truths that people shared with one another and they had psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So during the week, the early Christians would keep their mind on Christ and on their duties as a Christian to their fellow man and to their families by reciting psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and creeds. Short creeds. And, and you know, through, through these creeds, the preaching and the teaching were reinforced just as you see in the doctrines that Pastor Weiler brings to us in the music. Truths about Christ. And I've got to be honest. Even Wednesday, I'll stop into Circle K or something to pick something up, usually a caffeinated beverage, um, and I'll walk in, and I'll still be whistling the songs that Pastor Weiler has brought on Sunday. It's still in dwelling. Let them dwell in you. Let those doctrines dwell in you. Let the lyrics dwell in you. 
And it keeps you focused on why we're here. And in the Bible, it is perfectly appropriate to take cardinal truths, cardinal doctrines, and weave them into songs and sayings. To weave them in that are easy for us to recite during the week, and we can dwell on them. We can dwell on them. Philippians 4.8 tells us, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on them. Be nourished by them. And you'll be ready when that opportunity comes out to hand out a gospel tract or an invitation to church or to help someone in need or share a kind word with someone. We remain focused. And one way that we can be constantly or continually nourished as individuals is between our gathering together for worship is to discipline ourselves to dwell on these things of God. Dwell on the things of God. We immerse our week in godliness. We immerse it. We, we have access to many more wonderful things than what the early church had. Don't we? We've got awesome study Bibles that, that give explanation to passages that, that years ago would have taken hours for someone to find. They're printed widely. They're cheap to have. We've got... Um, We've got commentaries, we've got devotionals, we've got daily bread, we've got books. What do we got books? Don't we have books, Ruth? She loves books. We've got books everywhere. And then you might tell yourself, you know what, I'm not much of a reader. I'm not a good reader, I'm not a fast reader. Either were the early Christians. Either were the early Christians. But I came to Christ by listening to preaching on the radio. I was listening to the radio. And, and, and after I came to Christ listening to the radio, some of the earliest ministry to me, some of the things that kept me focused on Christ as a new Christian, even though I was going to a secular environment to work and I had difficulties in my life and I was trying to conform uh, to, to biblical things now when I had been used to living unbiblically, uh, during that time, some of my earliest Christian encouragement came from Christian music on the radio. Christian music that edified and encouraged and strengthened me until we found a good Bible-believing be, uh, church. And, and now today we have Bible apps. You know, I used to have to wait for someone to come on the radio. Do you remember that day? Man, Woodrow Crowell's coming on at 11 o'clock. I've got to make sure I'm near the radio at 11 o'clock so I can get over there and listen to them. Not anymore. I can pull them up any time of day. We have Bible apps We've got smartphones. You can listen to encouraging music and doctrine and preaching by solid preachers. Please, please stay with the solid ones. Solid preachers while you're at the gym, while you're, while you're doing uh, your work at home. You can be constantly be nourished. I remember first coming to faith that one of the things that Rita did, and, and I saw the transforming in her lives, we came to faith within a very short time of one another. Praise God. We weren't in church or anything. But one of the earliest things I remember with her was the change. She was going to a dental office to work, and she would drive quite a way. She'd get up early in the morning, uh, between 4.30 and 5, if I remember right, and she would have John MacArthur on the radio while she was getting dressed in the, in the uh, bathroom, just preaching of God's Word. And I would hear that. She'd get up a little bit before me, the edifying, the encouraging. There's so many ways to be nourished during the week nowadays, folks. So many good things. Take your choice. You can have them. They're at your fingertips. So the more that we can dwell on these things, the less we'll be drawn away by the world. 
Here's the point. You, you just can't be in church a couple hours on Sunday. Hitting Bible life groups, great. we got some great teaching there. We're going to continue that. Uh, service is wonderful. But, but if that's the only time you're getting into God's Word or you're being nourished during the week, you're going to struggle, folks. You're going to struggle to be used. You're going to be struggle to, uh, to persevere in attitude and everything. Um, it's not what the early church did. Some say that. Some say, you know, well, they just got together once a week and they went on their merry way and they met each other again the next week. No. They were constantly nourished. They were reciting the hymns. They were singing to one another in their workplace. They'd go down to, to do tasks and they'd be singing together. They were nourished. And we need to remain nourished. Because similar to that of a minister, a full-time minister, a full-time pastor, something like that, very similar to that, folks, you have a ministry. You have a ministry. In order to fulfill that ministry and be strong and persevere, you've got to be nourished. You can't be going to Awana every Friday night and um, doing facility maintenance. I'm convinced one of the things that that makes Tim so committed out here on Saturday mornings after he's worked so long uh, on keeping the grounds up is he's nourishing himself. He's nourishing himself. And these, these ministries that we have, whether it's passing out gospel tracts or, or practicing music, these people practice for long periods of time beforehand because they're being nourished. And all of this, this, this music, this service, this um, outreach that is being done for you folks is again an overflow of what you've taken in. It's an overflow of what you've taken in. With that, We look at uh, the next verse. I lost my place here. Had such a good time. With that, it says, be nourished. It'll overflow out from here. It is the woman at the well again. Remember what it said to her? Jesus told her, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him or her will become in him or her a well of water springing up into eternal life. It'll overflow out of you. And what you take in affects you. It's not only true positively, but it's also true negatively. You know, it is, a, it is very possible to pollute your well, pollute your water flow. Look with me at verse 7. It says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit, o- fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Drinking from a clean well is essential both for the pastor and for the flock, for everyone. So so Paul lays out this strong prohibition we see here. Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit for only old women. You know, some some translations say old wives' tales or fables. The ESV trans, translates this irreverent silly myths. And and, and most my most detailed commentary tells me this concerning this phrase of fables and women. It says it only occurs here in the New Testament. This is the only place we find it. It refers to the stereotyped kind of stories bandied back and forth between gossipy women who have nothing better to do. That's what it meant when Paul wrote it. And and I've had a number of commentators as I read. They try to apologize for this verse. I probably should on Mother's Day. No, they, they attempt to apologize for the verse. Some versions of the Bible try to avoid the connotation of old wives' f- 
fables or old wives' tale. They, they just avoid it and they translate it differently. And so they don't offend anybody. But I honestly don't think we need to do either of those. We don't need to apologize for it. We don't need to retranslate it. We have with us the Holy Word of God. The Holy Word of God. And we don't need to apologize for it. This negative connotation towards older women who have fables exists. But it's not, it doesn't exist towards all women. It, it doesn't mean all women. Later in chapter 5, we're going to find that Paul commends a segment of older women. They serve the church and they devote their, themselves to every kind of work. So he has a commendation. What Paul is confronting here is not all, all old women, but a type of old women. Uh, uh, gossipy old women. And it's ones who do not nourish themselves or others on the Word of God or in sound doctrine, but ones who serve their guests with fables and myths. That's what Paul is concerned about here. And, and, and we find these two types of women will be uh, directly contrasted when we get into chapter 5. I'm not going to go into detail today. But briefly in chapter 5 it says of the godly woman, she does, she has a reputation for good works has brought up children, has shown hospitality to strangers, she's washed a saint's feet, she's assisted those in distress, and she has devoted herself to every good work. See the commendation there to older women? And of the ungodly women, it says, uh, Paul writes in chapter 5, they learn to be idle, meaning they have too much time on their hands. They go around from house to house, and they're not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. That's the difference here. It's not derogatory towards older women at all. So the ungodly women share myths, tales, fables, and silly talk and gossip that doesn't nourish anybody into godliness. Paul says here, have nothing to do with them. Which brings out another important point that we have to look at here as we begin to close. Uh, We grow, we're nourished by dwelling on sound doctrine. Sound doctrine in the Word of God. We don't dwell upon myths and tales. We don't spend our time in them. In in fact, although the Bible efficiently and very effectively confronts false teaching, the Bible generally doesn't go into great detail about the errors. Many of the books that are confronting error that, that we read in the Bible, we don't even know exactly what the error was, but it's confronted firmly. And, and, um, The Bible doesn't go into detail explaining false teaching. Teaching, either do we. Either do we. Sometimes we're asked, you know, why don't we have an in-depth series on the cults? That's a reasonable question. That's not an unfair question at all. Uh, A a six-week sermon series, for instance, and, and add in there the Jehovah Witnesses, which are a huge influence in this community. A false doctrine there. And uh, wouldn't it be helpful to learn in very great detail about their myths and their false doctrines that they believe and that they teach? No. It would not. Actually, nobody is nourished by that stuff. Uh, Even explaining their false theology, going into detail, it pollutes the well. It pollutes the well. It muddies the waters of sound doctrine in people's minds. And and, and to do so from the pulpit... uh, potentially could confuse some newer Christians about what is truth and what's not. And, but if you're strong in sound doctrine, if you understand the Bible, you want to read those things. We, we read them in, in school, seminary, Bible college, and other things. If you're sound, I wouldn't discourage that. I wouldn't. 
There's things to be learned there, but you need to have a purpose for it. You need to have a purpose that you're confronting. Uh, we probably wouldn't do a six-week sermon series on all the major cults from the pulpit on Sunday morning. We, we might touch on it in a different venue. Um, it might be detrimental to confuse the facts of the Bible with so many false teachings out there. You and I don't need to know everything that the Jehovah Witnesses believe other than they reject the Trinity, they, they circulate a false Bible, and they believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. What more do you need to know? We don't need to know more. We don't need to... It's error. All it will do is muddy the waters. Another pastoral epistle, Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. They're unprofitable. They're worthless. 2 Timothy 2.23 Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations for they're unprofitable knowing that they produce quarrels. 2 Timothy 2.14 Remind them, meaning the church, remind the church of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words. Not to argue about it. which he says is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Leads to their ruin when you're discussing a lot of this stuff. Uh, in chapter 1 of this book we're in right now, 1 Timothy, Paul told Timothy in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, Do not teach strange doctrines. Do not pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. They only give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the economy of God. That's all they do. They give rise to speculation rather than furthering the economy of God. Verse 7 today says, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. Purge them from your thinking. You're pouring in what is sound doctrine. You're purging what is not. You know, nobody gets edified or sanctified by discussing lies or false doctrine. Whether it's in church or around the coffee table. We are edified and sanctified by the nourishment of God's truth, His Word. That's what we're nourished by. And rather than discussing old wives' tales, what we need to do is be nourished so that we can naturally spot the counterfeits. We need to be able to stop the, uh, spot the counterfeits. And this brings up an important universal principle. It's about the human mind and how the human mind is programmed to work. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12.1 says. It's an important principle. Many of you have heard how special agents in our secret service and uh, in FBI, how they're trained to spot false currency, counterfeit currency. They're trained in this. These agents, they're not given a bunch of fake treasury notes to study and learn. That's not what they're given to do. Uh, that would pollute their minds with false images, in your inaccurate images of what the, the currency is supposed to look like. And uh, it would cause them actually to doubt what they're seeing. Over time, you see enough false images. Instead, what the agents do is study again and again the genuine article. They look at it, they touch it, they smell it. Over and over and over, they look at that, that, that security note, and they learn it so well that, that a fake, even a real good fake, when it's placed in front of them, they dismiss it immediately. They know that's a false one. Because they've recognized what is right. They don't have their minds clouded by what is wrong. 
So folks, we need to do this. We need to be disciplined to, to be nourished with the Scripture and sound doctrine. We need to become spe- special agents for the faith. Maybe we should get badges. What do you think, Blake? Some badges, special agents for the faith. I like that. We do it through discipline. We discipline our bodies and our minds and our schedules. We wake up early Sunday morning. That's number one. We don't forsake the assembly of the saints. We're going to talk about disciplining ourselves next week. I think that should be talked about separately. Um, when it says, discipline ourselves for the purchase, purpose of godliness, because godliness, verse 8 says, is profitable for all things. It's profitable for all things, so we need to talk about that. The present life and the life to come. That'll be coming up next week. I think for today we've covered uh, enough about what our understanding about what nourished is, why we need to be nourished. We've talked extensively about being nourished. You know, I opened up talking about supplements and being nourished and getting ahead and being healthy and strengthened. I had somebody that nourished me in innumerable ways, took care of me, fed me when I was sick, taught me lessons that I'm still losing to, or using, using, I'm losing them today too. Taught me lessons I'm using still today. She calls, she encourages me, she is still nourishing me. That's my mother. We love our moms. Um, You know, today is the day that we traditionally recognize mothers in America. We want to tell you folks, we love you. We love our moms. We love everything that you've done for us. We're very thankful in the role that you've played in nourishing our lives. We wouldn't be here without you. And and with all the mothers in our midst, uh, you're staying faithful to Jesus Christ. You're helping us um, for the sake of your families. We honor you. We honor you today. And as Pastor Weiler said earlier, we have a, uh, a flower for each of you. If you would please come up afterwards and get one. It's just a little way that we can say thank you, small token. Really thankful for moms. Where you go today, uh, may you all be blessed. Be with your families. Be encouraged. You've been an amazing uh, source of our development and our nourishment over the years. Should we pray? Happy Mother's Day, folks.